I want to bring to your attention uh, this text from Malachi, from Malachi this morning, and from Luke. And so we're going to be turning to those two passages, and if you have your Bible, you'll want to turn to Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, and then we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 1, verse 76, and it's not the entire prophecy of Zechariah, who was the father of John the Baptist, it's only the latter part of that prophecy. But it deals with a text this morning which I hope will help you prepare for communion this morning. Because our focus in our worship service is communing with Christ at this table, which we will enjoy in just a few moments. But would you join me as we stand and we, we hear God's word this morning in this Advent of Peace, this Sunday of Peace. Stand with me, won't you? In Malachi 3, 1 through 4, the word of the Lord says this, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. And then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purify, a purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord, as in the days gone by, as in former years. And then from Luke this morning, A passage that Luke used to explain the coming of John the Baptist and the prophecy that his father spoke when hearing of the child being born. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. Because of the tender mercies of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. This is the word of God. You may be seated. If you'll keep your Bibles open this morning, would you pray with me very quickly? Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, as we come before you, we thank you for the gift of peace. And there is not a person in the world that is not desiring peace at this very moment. Whether it is people in Afghanistan who are under a different reign of government, or people in India, or China, or Russia, where we have seen these two great powers in the world increase their military might so that even now in the conflicts between Russia and the Ukraine, uh, there is tensions that are rising. And in China, with, with what's happening in the Pacific region, as China is flexing its muscles and expanding its influence throughout the world, uh, we think of the conflicts around the world and how 
conflicted the nations are. And then we think of our own families as we come from Thanksgiving and how we are a people familiar with conflict and the lack of peace, and yet there is no one who does not desire peace. And so in these brief moments, as we prepare our hearts to come to the table of our Lord, who is the Prince of Peace, remind us, remind us again through your word of that peace which you give and is ours even in these days. Therefore, bless the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts that they may be acceptable unto you. We ask and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. When you and I begin to think about the season of that we're in, there is a real dangerous feeling that we can have, and that is no one cares. No one. Uh, there are times where we have looked back on the years and psychologists have told us and explained to us that there have been more, uh, more people who have gone through more deeper depression during the months of November and December, and that depression is severe and it's critically acute in families that are in conflict. And so there is, a, there is a malaise that happens in this time of year, even though it should be the most joyful time of the year. There is a malaise that happens to us where we wish for things to be better than they are. We wish that things would be different. We wish the world was a better place to live. And there's a great hope with Christmas that one day it would be so. But as you go around our country, as you look through our stores and you see what's happening on our media, there is, a, there is an attempt to try to buy this kind of joy, this kind of peace. Uh, there is a consumerism that has taken our country in such ways that, that people believe they will be happy if they just have things. It kind of reminds me of the time when uh, my brother's children were born, and, and now one's a lawyer and the others, the others have become a medical specialist. And, and, and I'm thinking they're, they're in their 20s, late 20s. But when they were kids, we were really trying to figure out, what do you give kids for their Christmas, right? And so there was this all, give them these toys and, and buy this or buy that. It will make them happy. And, and uh, one of the things we were surprised is that my sister-in-law decided um, she wasn't going to go that route. You know what she did? She went to the um, local bazaars and she started buying used toys and wrapping them up and putting them in boxes. And I thought it was the most cruelest parent I'd ever seen in my life. And I said to her, I said, Molly, what are you doing? You've got to give kids presents that are new. You can't give them used toys. And she said, watch. You just watch what happens. And sure enough, we, we got to Christmas Day. And those two boys opened their presents. And they were thrilled out of their minds for the toys. But they spent the rest of the four hours of that morning playing with the boxes that the toys came in. And I thought, isn't that just like our culture? We go to all this trouble to pursue things that we think will make us happy, and in the end, we play with the things that seem less significant. Well, I dare say you are probably going through periods of your life where you're beginning to say to yourself, does God care about me? 
when we look at what's happening with our country, when we look at coming out of COVID, when we think of the stresses and strains that people are feeling, what's happening with our economy, where is all this leading? There is this malaise that is happening in the American psyche that says, does anyone care? Does anyone care about me? The government's saying, oh, they care. They're printing money, telling people, we'll take care of you. Well, let me tell you, there's no amount of money that can take care of the problems that we're facing as a nation. Because we are a people who are pursuing peace through things. And no one is satisfied. No one is happy. No one is fulfilled. And so when you look at the word peace in Hebrew, the word is shalom. It talks about a feeling of fullness of life, of satisfaction, that life is the way it's meant to be. And so many times you will hear those in the Jewish uh, lineage greet one another by saying shalom. May peace be with you. Shalom. Well, this Sunday is the Sunday of peace, of Advent. And one of the things I want to show you this morning very briefly is how in the days of Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament. Did you notice that? It's the last book of the Old Testament. And from Malachi to the Gospel of Matthew, God seemed to be silent. There are no scriptures that really are identified in our faith that says God is speaking through these words. And so the book of Malachi draws to an end the Old Testament revelation, and the Gospels bring the new revelation of the New Testament of Jesus Christ. The most amazing thing is during that period of silence, right before that, the people of Israel, the people of God, were feeling like God does not care. And they were feeling that way because of some severe reasons. They had reason to think this. You see, when Malachi was written, God was preparing to restore his people to their land. They had been in exile, get this now, for 50 years. They had been under persecution as slaves by the Babylonians. And during that period, Ezra and Nehemiah have, had come back to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and the temple of Jerusalem. But there was this feeling among the people that God was not in their midst. That God was not blessing them. That God was not leading them. That God was vacant. And they asked the question, where is God? And more importantly, does God still care about us? Well, I dare say that it was a tenuous time for those who lived in that day because there was no word of the Lord that came except from Malachi. And it was about 358 B.C. that they began to return to the promised land with the permission of the king of Persia. They rebuilt the city, rebuilt the temple, but then they began to go through the motions of trying to reclaim their life with God and not sure if he was going to respond to them. It's in the end of chapter 2 that, that, that Malachi records these words. And here's where they were spiritually as a people. In verse 17 of chapter 2, Malachi says to the people, you have wearied the Lord. I love that, don't you? You have wearied the Lord. You, you know what that reminds me of? Kids who keep asking 
parents for things until you get weary. You ever been there? It's like if you ask me one more time, I'm going to tie your nose into a knot, right? If you ask me that one more time, I'm going to take your tongue and wrap it around your elbow. This is, what, this is what Malachi was saying to the people. That they had wearied God. How had they wearied God? That's what they asked. Verse 17. How have we wearied God? And Malachi responds by saying, here they are, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. What did that mean? It meant that people had come to a place because God had not punished the wickedness that they saw around them, that they began to think to themselves, you know, God doesn't care. He's not going to punish the wicked. So obviously God doesn't care about us. He's punished us for our wickedness, but now things have gone on so long and things have been so bad that God must be vacated. All who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord which was a, a blatant accusation that God is not God. Have you ever done that? Have you complained to the Lord in such a way that you've forgotten that he is God or you just simply say, God, you're not able to do things? There was a Jewish author who, who wrote a book that was very popular for a long time and it was titled, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? And it was a bestseller on the New York Times. And the premise was that this Jewish rabbi had come to the conviction that God basically was not powerful enough to help people. That kind of thinking wearies God. Because it doubts his promise in your life. And it doubts his power to help you in the midst of where you are right now. The second thing that was the problem in Malachi's day was the fact that they not only thought that God was not able to discern good and evil any more, he, he, he allowed evil to continue in such a way that they asked the second question in verse 17 of chapter, chapter 2, where is God's justice? Have you said that today? Where is God's justice? Which is another accusation that God is not just. God is not fair. He is not someone who holds wickedness accountable. And so we're living in a day when we feel that as a people, that things are being done and no one is being held accountable. And so those two accusations were what drove the people of Israel as they were going back to the promised land, back to the city that was being rebuilt, back to the temple that was being restored, back to the worship, going through the motions of worshiping God. But in their hearts, they had come to a place where they said, God doesn't care and no one else does either. And the most beautiful passage that Malachi speaks is the word of God where Malachi says in chapter 1 of verse 3, listen, I will send my messenger. This is how God responds to that. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. 
Do you hear it? What God was telling the Israelites as they were leaving Babylon to go back to the land and reclaim the life that God had prepared for them was that not only was he going to restore them to the land, he, God, the King Almighty, was going to be in their presence again. And being in their presence, he would know, they would know his presence was coming because a messenger would come preparing the way for his entrance. Isn't that beautiful? You, you know to hear that God was coming. That, that, just, that just would fill you with such excitement. It's one thing for people to say, I care. It's another thing for them to show up and demonstrate it by their presence. You think, of, you think of going through a tremendous uh, problem. Maybe your house burns down or, or, or a tidal wave comes and wipes out everything you have and you just wonder, everything's lost. And suddenly you ask yourself, does anyone care? And God says, I care. But he doesn't just tell you that, I care. He shows up. Like a person showing up and giving you food or giving you clothes after your house is burned or, or your whole entire life has been swept away by waters for those people to show up with a van and they're ready to give you a place that you can reside until you get your life back together. You see, that's the kind of God Malachi says that we serve. When you go through those moments where you think people don't care or things are distant, this is the kind of God who responds by answering and he says, I'm going to send you a messenger. He did it with Moses, remember? He said, Moses, I want you to go and tell the Pharaoh to let my people go because I have heard their cry. I have understood their suffering. I have seen their oppression. Well, why is this message so important for the New Testament? Well, it's the very verse that Luke records for us concerning John the Baptist. Did you notice? When Zechariah writes, he says, You, my child, you, my child, will be a prophet of the Most High. A prophet of the Most High. Well, what's a prophet? A prophet is someone who speaks for God. A prophet is someone, is someone who is not there to solve the problem. He's there to point that the problem is going to be solved and the one who's going to solve the problem is coming. The one who's going to take care of the problem is on his way. And so the prophet was a messenger sent by God. You go to Isaiah 43, you'll find the message there, the same one. I'm going to send a messenger what messenger? A messenger who's going to prepare my presence in front before you. The one who's going to go before me so that when I come, you are prepared. That you are ready. That you are expectant that I'm going to be with you. And even more than that, I'm going to let this messenger bring you the knowledge of how this could be possible. How could it be possible that God would be among a bunch of sinful people like us? How would it be possible that God would want to be a bunch of sinful people like the Israelites who for generations had forgotten about him, who, who mixed all kinds of, 
of worship of other gods with the worship of him, the one true God, and, and, and basically betrayed him. But now God says, I am going to send a salvation. What was that about? It was about restoring relationship with God. You see, that's the beauty of the Christmas message is Christmas is not about just giving toys and buying presents. It's about a message where God has done something to help you find a relationship with him that was broken by you. You see, it was you who had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It was you who treated your neighbor as if they were immaterial or unimportant. It was you who failed God, not who God who failed you. And the most amazing message is that this messenger will come to explain how it will be possible for the God who loves and is almighty and pure and holy will once again be among us who don't deserve it. Not only will this messenger come with the knowledge of salvation, he will be someone who will deliver the message so that people are prepared to receive the salvation. And so where will this salvation come from? It's the second part of the sermon this morning. John's purpose, his purpose of being a prophet sent by God was to do an introduction. When I was uh, in seminary, there was this cute little redhead that came to our house for the Super Bowl party when, when the Chicago Bears were playing the, the uh, New England Patriots. If you don't remember the game, it's not your fault. Chicago beat the snot out of them. Excuse my English. The, the ball game was completely boring, but the most exciting thing happened that Saturday. You know what it was? I got introduced to that cute little redhead. Let me tell you, there was never a day like that ever again. Not only did I get introduced, she actually paid attention to me. She couldn't keep her eyes off of me. And when she found out that I did certain kind of things and hobbies, she started asking me questions. She wouldn't give me the time of day before that time day came. I would say hello in the hall, and she looked at me like, who in the world are you? But on that day, I had her complete and undivided attention. Why do I tell you that? That's what John was doing for the people who would see the light that came into the world. That he would be showing them that God was coming in the flesh. God was going to take the form of a man. And he was going to have your complete attention. Because God is aware that you feel no one cares. Isn't that beautiful? It's glorious. He was giving an introduction because the one who would come, God, Malachi said it would be God who would come. Luke is saying, Jesus is the one who came, God in the flesh. God has shown up because of his tender mercy for you. You say, well, wait a minute, what's the point of tender mercy? Well, mercy is not getting what we deserve. 
You know, grace is receiving what I didn't earn. Mercy is not, is getting what I don't deserve. Mercy is being able to have something and say, this is mine? And that's what God did in Christ. He came into our lives through Christmas and said, I give you tender mercies. I am showing up and being with you. Not only is he coming with tender mercies, he goes on to say that his presence is going to bring clarity. You see, until that time that Christ came, people worshipped all kinds of things. They worshipped rocks and trees, stars, sun, moon. They name, you name it, they worshipped it. People were so confused about who the living God is. They didn't know. Even the Jews themselves had come to a place where they weren't certain they knew who God was because they'd been in captivity for 50 years. And yet when Christ appeared, that messenger who brought the introduction said, we will finally know the living God. And you go through the Gospels and you'll find that Jesus, in all of his teaching, takes what was in the Old Testament and makes it clear for everyone to understand. You have heard it said, but I say to you, this is true, 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 true. And people would go, oh, I've never heard teaching like this. He teaches with such authority. He makes me want to listen. And then this, this one who would come, his guidance would lead us into peace. That last part overwhelms me. Because as people gather for Christmas and they want to have a peaceful family. They want to have a peace in their hearts. That peace is ever elusive. Do you know why? Because of sin. And until someone is able to help us with our sin problem, someone who can bear our infirmities and the wrath of God for us until we can come to a place where we quit blaming other people for our problems and come to the one true God and say, this is my fault. Only then do I start having peace. Only then. Isn't that, isn't that just like God? You see, what God does in Christmas is he takes people who think they're not broken, like us, who are severely broken because of our sin. And he chooses to enter into our lives. He shows up and he offers tender mercy and forgiveness when we admit where we are wrong and confess it before him, he shows up and says, I forgive you. And it frees the soul. You don't believe me? Go back to the gospel. What happened? A woman was caught in adultery. They bring her, by the way, they distort the teaching of the God, word of God. When people were caught in adultery in that day, the parties, both the man and the woman would be brought together to the 
judges, and if they were found guilty, they both would be stoned to death. In this case, they set Jesus up. They're trying to trick him, so they bring the woman. The man is not even there. And as the woman is chastised and embarrassed and paraded for everyone to see her sin, they are ready to kill her. And Jesus bends down and writes in the dirt something we don't even know what it is and says, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And one by one, the men who think they have every just cause to take her life leave because they realize they are not qualified to judge others. And then Jesus looks at her and says, lady, where's your accusers? And she looks around and she says, they're all gone. And then he says this, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That's the message of Christmas. Do, do you think that woman went back and lived the life she had before? Because she tasted and she saw the goodness of the Lord. <coughs> As we approach this table this morning, this is what God wants to do for you. You don't think he cares about you. He does. You don't think he notices what's happening. He's very aware. And he says, I have showed up. I have come, and I am with you till the end. Would you pray with me?